Hello and welcome to the Book Table Podcast, your audio book club. I'm Fee and I'm joined with Annie. Hi. And Sophie. Hey. And welcome to our December book club episode. Uh, this month we have been reading Midnight in Everwood by M.A. Kuznia. Um, and this book was inspired by The Nutcracker. So Midnight in Everwood takes place in 20th century Nottingham, uh, where our main character, uh, Marietta Stell, uh, who is a ballet dancer and preparing to dance her final performance before she's forced to quit and get married, um, is then interrupted by a mysterious toy maker who begins to build her an enchanting set to dance in. So first off, what are your guys' relationship with The Nutcracker? Have you seen the ballet or have you been introduced by the films or have you even read the actual first edition of the book by um, Hoffman, isn't it? E.T.A. Hoffman. I've seen Barbie and the Nutcracker. Does that count? That is an iconic film. I watched it yesterday, actually. Oh, I didn't have time because my flight was delayed for four hours. But, um, oh gosh. yeah, I know. Um but I have seen Barbie and the Nutcracker many a time. Although I found going back to it, like I watched a couple of clips from it, the animation is not as good as I remembered. It never is, is it? When you grow up, you realize, I can't believe I was never critical about the animation. It, that just shows how good the storyline was. It, it just, it's a testament yeah. to Barbie herself. Mm-hmm. Barbie can... You know, Barbie is like Meryl Streep. She shines in every terrible movie she's in. Exactly. Um, I also have seen The Nutcracker uh, with, I think it was done by professional ballet dancers, but with an introduction by Angelina Ballerina. <gasps> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, real ballet <gasps> star there. So she's my I, icon. <laughs> and if you'll give me a second, hold on. Did not do know that they did real life ballet with Angelina Ballerina beforehand. I, I was not aware of that. I only experienced that as like the magazine, which I think I bought a lot as a kid. Yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh. If you for you uh listeners that can't obviously see what we see, Annie is holding an actual nutcracker. Yeah, it doesn't crack nuts, just to let you know. It's it's purely a nutcracker nutcracker. I did not um, know they did that either. Oh, it's a model <laughs> nutcracker. It's a ballet souvenir rather than an effective nutcracking solution. <laughs> um, but I believe it was bought for me when, like, in the gift shop when we were seeing Angelina Ballerina and the Nutcracker. So I read the books and I also had the Angelina Ballerina Sylvanian Families Cottage. Did Angelina Ballerina collab with Sylvanian Families? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I had Angelina Ballerina and I had Cousin Henry and a bicycle with a balloon on it and her oh cottage. My gosh. Oh, out of interest, I was looking at my short uh, childhood bookcase uh, and I did find like an illustrated copy of The Nutcracker that was like a large clip, like book for kids that I've had for a while. And then also, I've played like parts of The Nutcracker Suite because I guarantee that if you did youth orchestra, you've probably at some point played the Nutcracker Suite, just like a bit of it. <laughs> yeah. Either the March or the Sugar Plum Fairies. It may not have sounded great. It probably didn't sound very good, but that, like, that's my only interaction with the ballet, is like us not super greatly playing parts of it. Still counts. Yeah. Still counts, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I have also, was I, I also was obsessed with Barbie and the Nutcracker. That was probably like the first Barbie film I watched. I think it was the first Barbie film. I think it was the only Barbie film I watched, but I think we also had the the matching Barbie doll that went with it in the Nutcracker dress. Yes, yeah, yeah. and that was my favorite doll. I loved her hair. Like that curly blonde hair mm -hmm. was everything I wanted. I loved her dress. Um, oh, her dress. And she got me obsessed with ballet pretty sure i gave her ice skating barbie's ice skates so she was <gasps> yeah not only a ballet dancer but a skate a figure skater 
nutcracker on ice. A nutcracker on ice. I'm sure. Nutcracker. Exists. Oh, I would watch that. Definitely, it must exist. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on from Barbie, but I'm sure she will come up throughout this episode. Um, what did you guys think about? Well, first off, what did you think about the cover of the book? It's a recently published book, so I think it, it's only in hardback at the moment. But um, I think it's stunning. The cover but is gorgeous. It. it is, isn't it? Maybe the best part of the book. Ooh, <laughs> coming in strong. I mean, the cover is beautiful. It, I, it's very nice. I, I, we'll get into how I feel about this book. I had mixed feelings on this, <laughs> but that cover. I, that's interesting because I also have mixed feelings. I think my mixed feelings are probably more positive than yours by the sound of it. But I also yeah. have yeah. mixed feelings. Interesting. Okay, let's get into the juicy bits. Well, so first, rating of the cover. What uh, uh, Annie and I are saying it's stunning. Sophie, it's a five. five out of five. Great cover. It's a five oh, yeah. out of five. The cover is. Great I cover. love the colors. I love the like the paper cut sort of depth to it. It's it's just mm. it's a it's a stunningly designed cover. This feels a bit like I'm saying, oh God, I mean, the soundtrack in that film was great. Whatever else you say <laughs> yeah. about it, great soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so then moving on, let's go into the story. So I I'm sure we're all familiar with the story of the Nutcracker. Although I will say, I remember not really, like if somebody had asked me before, oh, what's the story of the Nutcracker? I couldn't really describe it because all I'd remember is, oh, well, there's a girl who dances in it and she has a nutcracker and then that nutcracker comes alive and and then I don't really know what happens after that she goes into this magical world but I'm not sure what happens in it so it's like there's a sugar plum fairy somewhere in there some sort of rodent yeah. king don't really remember yeah. the rest of it I could have told you that they have to defeat the rodent king possibly to bring the sugar plum fairy back or something like that but like mm. I couldn't have given you specifics but I mean straight away this book is not a sort of a, a page for page recreation of the Nutcracker. It is a reimagination of the story in, mm -hmm. I think, a very strong sense. It's not looking to tell that story or even retell it. It has its very, uh, it has a very particular story that it wants to tell. And mm. that's not the original Nutcracker. Yeah. It's like when you get your kit, like different Kit Kat flavors, like it's the same shape, but like if you get a matcha Kit Kat, it's green and like it's got matcher in it so it's different it's like actually after you know what i mean yeah after i finished midnight <laughs> out of curiosity i just picked up the nutcracker fairy tale book and i opened it and i saw who Drosselmite was and it was like he's her godfather and i was like oh wow okay things did change very much then admittedly mm. i don't know what he was like in the original but i was like oh so he's not a very evil sinister figure Okay. Well, cool. so I know in the original that I, I did some research into okay. the original because I was quite curious about the characters because I hadn't heard of characters like um, Pirlipata and, and like Delara. Like, I didn't know how close it was to the original. Uh, I actually didn't know there was uh, like an original. I thought Travosky like created it completely. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, I definitely even... couldn't have said there was original I wouldn't have known if Tchaikovsky was like the creator but I couldn't have said oh there's a book I didn't know there was like oh no, I thought it was one of those fairy tales that's like you don't know who the original was from that's just a thing that's like yeah. lost to time yeah well essentially Travosky's take on the story is kind of like Walt Disney's take on like Grimm Brothers fairy tales so it's a much darker story um, that was written. Um, I think it was more like a metaphorical story about like human human endeavors, such as you know, um, power mm. and murder and those sorts mm -hmm. of things. Now, was there ballet dancing in the original? Because obviously, Barbie and the Nutcracker and Midnight in Everwood center ballet dancing. Is that because of the ballet yes, or because yeah. there's ballet in the original? Because of the ballet. So 
so Travosky took the store the the book and transformed it into a ballet he didn't cho uh, choreograph it but he wrote the music to it and that debuted around late 1800s um and from what I know, a lot of the characters actually in Midnight in Everwood are named after some of the first dancers that that did the first Nutcracker show in St. Petersburg. Oh, wow. So so if we go into the characters, so we've got Captain Legat and Legat, um, a, a man called Sergei Legat, was the first uh, dancer of Nutcracker Prince. Oh, that's and then we've also got Delara, who's after, Ant uh, I think her name's Antonetta Del Era, like D-E-L-L-E-R-A. And she was an Italian dancer and she was the first sugar plum fairy. Okay, yeah, it's fascinating. Interesting thing about like uh, the sugar plum fairy bit is that, so that was something that, that Travosky created and you know the famous Sugar Plum Fairy uh, song? He wrote that for this new instrument that had been created, like this type of piano that makes that like almost twinkling sound oh, wow. in, the, in the music. And um, he kept it, like he wanted to keep it a secret so nobody else would steal this instrument in then in their shows or anything so he shipped it over from Paris to Russia and then debuted it on the 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 first show very very dedicated he was like oh my god I cannot let anybody find out about this special piano I was just getting excited about the special piano it's called the Celesta and it's now often used to play the part of the glockenspiel in the magical flute which really, I just wanted to say the word glockenspiel. Of course, it's a satisfying word to say, really. Glockenspiel. It wasn't popular at the beginning in Russia. Yeah. Um, but then one, uh, a Russian <laughs> principal dancer, I can't remember his name, but I'm sure everybody in the New York Ballet Company will know his name because he was, uh, I think he was the founder of it. Oh, wow. And um, he created his own Nutcracker and made it, I think, more centered around um, sweets and the land of sweets. And yeah, more yeah, child friendly. And, um, and then it became very popular in kind of like the 1960s for American families to go see the Nutcracker around Christmas. Smart marketing right there. So what I think is interesting is this is a story, I mean, the story of the popularity of the Nutcracker is a story of adaption, right? It's, it's a book, it's a ballet, then it's an adapted ballet, which sort of brings us to um, this. And the question that I think we are all hovering around, which was, how did we feel about this book as an adaption of the Nutcracker? It felt more of um, a retelling for, like, young adults mm -hmm. or a more of an adult audience rather than I think when you go to the Nutcracker especially the ballet you see a majority of the audience are children yeah. and are young children I mean I guess not really remembering much about the Nutcracker when I started the book I wasn't really uh I guess I didn't think too much about how it was an adaptation of it but I I think I did think it was interesting it was clearly um you know trying to take the story in the direction in a different direction and yeah I think it's a good reimagining it provides you know it, it provides something that's very different from other versions of the Nutcracker you might see which is I think always something that's valuable in a sort of a reimagining that it's not sort of yeah retreading any of the same ground but kind of doing something of its own okay and how do we feel about it as a book <laughs> I think the first half should have been a tenth of the length you know what I mean I yeah think oh 100% I was struggling through that first bit oh god yeah also someone needed to cut some of her like she used a lot of there was a lot of like needless detail 
in that beginning part, like a lot of incredibly heavily described everything to a point where I was just not very interested. I think she was aiming for that kind of Victorian fluid prose. Yeah. Mm, It wasn't enjoyable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's quite funny. I I got about 30 pages in and I suddenly went, wait, is this a debut novel? And then I checked the dust jacket when I got home and it's like, it was a debut adult novel. And I was like, okay. I feel like she's maybe trying too hard to be artistic and clever, maybe. Like, that's kind of the vibe I got from it. Especially. Mm. I also think that, though, I think at the beginning when uh, when Marietta is not um, in this new world, there's a lot of unnecessary description of everything but then when we get into this new world that's kind of where we want it because we want to hear about the beautiful sugar dusting of snow and uh, of the the details of this ice castle um but and also the foods because it is the land of sweets so you want that visual description and I thought that was where I enjoyed it most I also thought that there was a lot of just unnecessary stuff in the first half. I thought yeah. that, like, the whole thing about her stealing her dad's car and the the, the process of getting to the audit, like, there was just a huge amount of things that never went anywhere. Yeah, also, uh, would they yeah. have cars at that time? Uh, no, they would, if they were rich, because we, we're, like, 19... 19- yeah 1920s yeah so they would have automobiles but they wouldn't be common use for like most people but for someone of like her social class I think that would make sense that they'd have cars yeah and I also found that kind of it definitely meant that 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 change between our world and the real world was and and Everwood sorry was less kind of noticeable in the text because I actually I was reading it and I was like, why is this so descriptive? And I was like, wait, is she going to drop all of this language when she's in Everwood so that the real world will seem fake? And I was trying to like figure out what she was doing. And then it just carried on the same in Everwood. And I was like, I don't know what contrast you're trying to make here. I can't work out what you're like, what the point of this language is. I also thought, uh, I, I think the other thing that we need to get into is the, you know how in Twilight, Bella is irritating and everyone around Bella has a much more interesting story to tell. Oh God, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And I think part of what she was doing was setting up a sort of a, like I couldn't tell why she kept on having this woman think, oh yeah, my brother is closeted and will never be able to live his truth. But you know, that's his problem and this is mine. And you know, this other girl is, you know, of African descent living in 1920s London, but she has friends, whereas mm. I'm, it, it was sort of like, I, it was a little bit, I'm not like other girls, but instead it was more, I'm not like other people who were suffering. So it was very also, weird. it never set her up as a good dancer. <laughs> yeah, I, there was a bit at the start, and I was like, you are not giving me a lot of like, I felt the whole dancing thing was kind of weak. Aside from the fact that, like, she feels free. Mm. Like, and that was something that was stated. I didn't really understand. Like, I didn't feel her passion for dance, if that makes sense. Like, I just kind of got told that it was a thing that she did and she liked doing it. But I didn't feel, like, a passion for, this, for, the, for the art form, if that makes sense. Which I think was... Uh, but also, yeah. I think she only got the part because there was this line about you know it was the tradition for in your last year you to get the central role so she didn't get the part because she was good she was constantly saying how she wasn't good so she had to constantly practice Mm. and she was always um and then she flunks her audition and I know that like she spotted Drosselmeyer at the back but I'm just kind of like oh was she just not a great like I I think she was really keen to have Marietta as a character develop. Yeah. Which is why in the second half, once she'd become a better person, it mm-hmm. was an easier read. 
but we she didn't set her up as a I, 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 I think I might be thinking something similar to you were as I felt like Marietta didn't need any development on the thing that set up as her central conflict which is that she wants to because she's already decided before she goes to Everwood that she's not going to you know she wants to rebel against her family that's something that she consistently does on multiple occasions so that's not the thing that she needs to develop in the thing that she mm. actually grows in is interpersonal relationships but that's not the primary it's a thing that's mentioned but it's not the central conflict. So that for right. me was also the prob a problem. And then in order to develop into someone who is good at interpersonal relationships, she has to be a, a, a she has to not be nice to her friends, but in order to make the cast of characters diverse, her friends all have bigger problems than her. Yeah, except for Victoria. Yeah, but like... Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I just don't think we we needed the characters, that her surrounding characters as much if we want, if Marietta is supposed to be the one that we sympathise most with. And if that's the case, mm -hmm. I think there was almost a need to not... It, less of a moaning description of where her life is, but more of a, I don't know, just some actions or other, I don't know, other things that made the decision harder for her, if that makes sense. Also, I never believed that her problems were real. Mm. The thing is, it's hard because if, say, if her mum was, like, if their family was struggling financially, you'd understand why she would have to marry and marry well off if that makes sense mm -hmm. but because her parents she's rich she her family's rich like it, it's only the pressure of society which means she'd have to marry but I'm not sure how reputable ballet was at the time but I imagine it was still a reputable thing well and also the father was the, the priorities of the parents were weird, you know? They believed in girls getting education, so she was brilliantly educated. And they'd let her do ballet, but they thought it wasn't good. But all the other high society girls were allowed to do ballet and it was considered a good thing for them to do. But she wasn't allowed to do ballet because her parents were strict and backwards, but not backwards enough that they didn't believe in women's education, but they would, uh, I, like what? what were their values and why were they stopping her from doing what she wanted to do? Mm. This is a specific, I don't really want the son to marry as much. Like, he's your heir. Legacy? I'm surprised that was not as much of an... Like, that's the bigger issue. Really. Fre Fre Frederick is the bigger issue. Like, he's your heir. He's going to carry on your family name. Yeah. Uh, but you're not him I think but it's Basically, also an age thing as well yeah so I don't know I, and I, Frederick is Frederick older or younger I know in the actual thing he's younger he's but I think in this one he's older I'm pretty sure he's the older brother yeah. I think that's the vibe I got also their parents were so extremely strict but there were no consequences to any of their actions and they did whatever they yeah. wanted yeah this is the yeah I had that big problem with her because she was constantly talking about how her parents wouldn't let her do what she wanted but she did what she wanted anyway so she didn't need to go on a magical adventure to find this friend to not do what her parents didn't want her to do mm. because she already did that that's which that's again, something else maybe it would have been nice if there was more of a uh, I, I don't know I know she's she she goes into Everwood and it becomes sort of a revolutionary type endeavor. But if there was something yeah, was else for Marietta to pursue more than the things she gets caught up with in Everwood, obviously she gets forced into Everwood by Drosselmeyer. But th the thing is, we don't really hear from Drosselmeyer for like ages in the book. Yeah. Which is weird because he's the grand confectioner, yeah. right? So he's 
always there in Everwood, always doing shit. He's the Grand Confectioner, so he's doing things for the Grand Confectioner's Ball. He plans the Grand Confectioner's Ball. He does all of that. He must get in to Everwood via some alternate door because she comes back. Like, what? What? It, 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 oh. It's, it's a bit of a... The thing about this book is that I liked the last third of it a lot. I loved the mm. character of Legat. Oh, I, yeah. I kept on being irritated with her for being like, oh, but why aren't you helping people when you're here as a spy being secretive so you can finally help the revolution? Like, Legat was just the, the you know, shining star in the story of all of these characters who, instead of being worthy of their own story, were relegated to helping her learn about the value of interpersonal relationships. And, but I loved the final third of it when she'd learnt to be nice to people. Mm. and I felt like the final third could have been way more central especially if like there was just so much so much about especially the exposition with you know this is what her life is like in Nottingham but also the second third was just so unnecessary and I worry that those first chunks will dissuade people from reading that third final bit which is actually really good and really she really she I think once she gets into her stride she makes a really good go of reimagining the Nutcracker narrative Mm. but I worry that no one's going to get there or I worry that people might not get there because they'll be too busy with the first two thirds, which I think show, uh, I don't know, you know? I think it's overwritten and maybe overthought a little bit. Like, I feel like she's thought through, because the, the thing, yeah, the issue I had with circling back to the friends having bigger issues and stuff, it's like she was very, like, there's that scene where, Marietta sort of like acknowledges that yes, Harriet is more despondent. And yes, in fact, Marietta is aware of systemic issues as a thing that might discriminate against other people. So it's like she's thought too much about the implications of Marietta. Like, I feel like she was very preoccupied with making her likable or trying to make her likable by making her quote unquote, seeming to understand the problems of other people, but also like not really. But also, I think we should expect more from a diverse book than, you know, one character of each diversity type. You know what I mean? I think diversity is not about having those characters there. It's a part of it. But a really diverse book is about centering those stories. And those characters were only ever sidelined for the narrative. Mm. And I think if if she had been less... um, if there had been less signaling around the fact that she had a diverse cast of characters, then it absolutely could have been, you know, a nice normal book that was, you know, written about a white woman but had a good diverse cast of characters. But the diverse characters were only there as sort of scene filler. Yeah, and also that she wanted you to know that they were there. Like, she, it was like she wanted to be like, yes, I have in fact ticked off my diversity points. And here they are. And I have provided my me, you know? Okay, so I think we've talked a lot about Marietta and her character. Should we talk about the other characters, especially yes. the Everwood characters? Please. <laughs> um, so... Um, Legat was incredible oh, and amazing. I would read an entire book about him. Legat, I, I think I fell in love with him. <laughs> I walked away falling in love with Captain Leggett. I mean, his <laughs> conflict was so interesting. Like, I just wanted to know what was going on in his head. Like, how did he live every day feeling like he he saved, he did the thing that he was supposed to do. But then also, like, now everybody in his mm. kingdom is suffering. I was like, that is such a good conflict. Can I hear more about yeah. it? Or know more about it, please? And I think... He's the perfect sort of encapsulation of like moral revolution. You know, how do you how do you overthrow a tyrant while still keeping your soul? And I think like it was just there were 
flashes of, I think, and this is what's irritating about this book. There's so obviously somewhere in this, a brilliant writer capable of writing a brilliant book. And I don't know where, where, I don't know how, I don't know whether that's a debut author thing or a bad editor's thing or whatever, but I think like, I, there's a lot of frustrating elements where you're like, oh, you so obviously have a good mind for creating these details and a good sort of sense of the world. Something just has not, I don't know, you know? Well, yeah, I guess, is it perhaps trying to kind of center to still with the narrative of the Nutcracker without losing the Nutcracker essence to it? Yeah, like that random Nutcracker that turns up of the gap. And you're like, oh, what's that? And she's like, oh, it's just a warning from the king saying that he noticed that we're close now. Mm. Like, I also feel like I don't fully understand. I still don't understand what the point of Everwood was, if that makes sense. Like, the point of it in her story. It's like, that was the starting point, but she didn't go back and give me a compelling reason for why Marietta needed to have this mystical, magical adventure in Everwood. Well, she did make friends with Harriet and Victoria at the end. I, I, yeah, I mean, that's the problem. It's like the, the end product mm, is just that she has of. friends now, kind of, maybe. Well, I mean, yeah, and I guess I guess that's also something that we don't get reason for in any of the other versions of the Nutcracker, to be honest. I think that's fine for a fairy tale, but if you're going to present... like, I don't need to know why the mystical kingdom exists. That's not the question. I want to know why is it narratively Marietta. significant. Yeah, why is it narrative... I want to understand, not in a textual way, but like outside of that, why was this journey to another world important? Like, what changed? Why did she have to go to Everwood to learn the things that she did? And I didn't feel like coming back, I had a strong enough reason for why that happened. Mm, was, was yeah. I mean, why did Drosselmeyer, I don't know why Drosselmeyer forced her into Everwood, if that makes sense. It's, like, it's just like, oh, I thought it would break your spirit. Whoops, my bad. That was the vibe I got. I, oh, it was weird. I don't think I'm he like, had I a good reason. I was going to rape her or something. I think with significant cuts, this would be a great book for mm, ages 9 to 12. Also, can mm. we talk about the one random scene at the Like, this also did not feel like a book for adults. Right up until the part when he decided to have sex, sex in the scene. woods. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a, oh yeah, this is not in fact a young adult book. This is for adults. And I was like. But you oh. know what? That was the most exciting part of it. <laughs> I was just honestly so blindsided by that. I was like, where did this come from? Why is this I didn't here? care about the revolution. I cared about their sex scene. Yeah, I think I think there's a compelling case to be made that you cut a lot and and it's a really good sort of preteen novel, you know? Mm, yeah. And then I think all of the signposting and the slightly overwrought language becomes a sort of a feature of those kinds of books, you know? It's it's the kind of book that a precocious 12-year-old would really love. But I also mm. think there's an adult novel that M.A. Kuznia could write and it would be a really good novel. She just needs to I don't know, maybe trust herself a bit more maybe find a new editor and a new book agent, maybe like do something, you know, Perhaps. change something. But you know what, when I was reading it a part of me really wanted I, you know, the Nutcracker always gets told with uh, Marietta or is known as Clara as the main protagonist that's the Nutcracker but if you wanted to write something a little bit different to tell the story of the sugar plum fairy, nobody knows the sugar plum fairy story. 
and that is such a great thing like to you could you could really be creative with that because there's not a lot to go on also Dorella is much more interesting than Marietta so she had the yeah. elements for that in her oh, I thought Polipata or Dorella would have made much more interesting Pirinipata was a badass and I love her for it as was Delara but but Pirinipata when she was like you know what I will marry this king if it means that I get to save the people that I love I was like that that is a leader that is main character energy right there Marietta was there too yeah pretty much yeah, it's it, it's one of those unfortunate books where it feels like all the characters around the main character are just more interesting. She's put more thought into like what their personalities yeah. are and how they're different to Marietta. Like they all work as foils mm. to her, but she forgot to really build up who Marietta is and give me a reason to actually be interested in her story. Yeah. Also, I, I, this is not to do with necessarily the book but um I just had this thought when I was reading it why is always some the monarch that lives in an ice castle tower whatever is evil like yeah. I just like a good a snow queen oh 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 Elsa Elsa from Frozen yeah but Elsa was still made to look evil like an evil ice queen I was gonna say in the snow queen she's evil apart from in Frozen um the white witch um white witch. yeah ice is evil. cold ice is cold but you don't have to be cold-hearted <laughs> to live in an ice palace plenty of friendly eskimos live in igloos yeah snowmen Maybe. snowmen are lovely snow women <laughs> also ice is very pretty it's cold but it's pretty Anyway, that was just a random thought that came up when I was reading it. And I was like, there's always an evil monarch in Ice Palace. Anyway, so we've got King Gellum, who's our villain in Everwood. He had no motivation. No, he was just a bit of a brat, wasn't he? A murderous brat. This is think like, why isn't Drosselmeyer the villain That's in That's what Everwood? I thought. I thought, yeah. what has Drosselmeyer got to do with Everwood? Like, if he, surely she, like, Marietta was scared of Drosselmeyer. That's how she fell into Everwood through the grandfather clock, running away from Drosselmeyer. Drosselmeyer and King was his name were very different. Yeah. And then she meets the king, like, through getting found in the woods by um, she the cat. She just does nothing that, like, it, she oh you know how the things you hate in other people are the things you hate in yourself yeah i hated how she anytime anyone told her to do something she just wouldn't do it mm. um this is a side note but a very funny side note um i listened to this book by audiobook because i oh. i was walking a lot and didn't have a lot of time to sit down and read so i listened to a lot of it through audiobook Mm -hmm. And just a fun fact about the audiobook, the king is given the most magnificent Boris Johnson voice by the narrator. Oh my gosh. <laughs> do you know who I wish would do it? It's who? Tim Curry. Tim Curry. I don't know. Because Tim Curry, who plays um, the, Ma the Mouse King in Barbie, he also is, um, uh, what is it, in, in Rocky Horror. Frankenfurter. Yeah. And um he's he's a legend. He was in Home Alone too. He was also um <laughs> what's his name? Something Thornbury in the Thornburys, the the dad. Oh Nigel Thornbury. Yeah, he's Nigel Thornbury. Yeah, yeah. So I think and I think it could yeah, but it was a very it was very obviously a Boris Johnson impression that yeah, was the yeah. voice of the evil king. Also, the coup happened very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I had issues with this revolution because it was this is why this is why I couldn't get too into the ending. I would say that I was like interested mm. by this point. Um, but there was just 
a lot of issues for me with like how she set up things, how quickly she paid them off, and then how everything at the end is set up as like he's he's you know he's villainous, he's destructive, he's gonna wipe them out, and then they just kind of like invade the castle with reindeer and it all just kind of works out from there, really. I think and it was I would have liked set up as too everything was too long and then the ending was too short. Yeah. I was yeah. when I was reading and it should have been more it, challenged. I, was, I, I remember looking at how much I had left. I was like, how are they gonna res- resolve everything and like get her back into the main world and resolve whatever issues she had there in these next like 30 pages or something? Okay, maybe not 30, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but still, that's what it felt like. It, it, yeah, it, it was just, I, I don't know. I feel like she needed another editor who was like very tough and was like, nope, we're cutting up all of this setup mm. stuff. That, that's all gone. And then you have more time for the other things in the narrative that mm. I did like, I did, you know, let's go on some positives. I did like her um, <laughs> world building, like it, the actual world itself and like exchanging with some of the locals yeah. and and that sort of thing that was nice and I enjoyed that I just wish there was more of it like I said she created a lot of interesting oh you know char- side characters with interesting conflicts and backstories like you know she's mm-hmm. she can create distinctive characters it's just they might not be the ones that focus but you know she has that potential I think she did a good job with that yeah I thought yeah it was at its best when she just did what she wanted to do I thought it was weakest when she was trying to adhere to the Nutcracker story and it was strongest when she was writing a story that Mm. she wanted to write and I think she was also um yeah I think she should trust her instincts more because I think the language didn't feel the once she got into it the mm-hmm. language started to feel more natural and also if we're talking oh, high points is. captain legat yes. is just the best i mean so is yeah. delara so is pillapata and also loved the outfit descriptions that was nice but only once you got into yeah well that's, uh, that's the thing once i got into you everwood know? i was like okay now I know like this is when you know you know it's like it's like that roller coaster thing like it's so slow going up that you're a bit bored but once it hits it and you go like you get into the roller coaster you're able to get through it and I think that's it happens in a lot of books but some books are able to get that much earlier on and have a different pace throughout it than just kind of slow like almost this slow and then this exponential downward like not not that it went down it just meant like you know the fun part of the roller coaster is when it when you go down so that sort of thing so I think my final thing my final impression is that I didn't necessarily like the book but I think I like the author you know what I mean yeah yeah I would still look around for her stuff and want to see what she what yeah. she writes next i think it's 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 pro- like she's a promising writer yeah i would say that all of my thoughts i would like to present to her as like helpful feedback of like things that would make the next book better like you know it, it's not that i hate it it's just that i think it could have used a couple rounds more and it's like there's a good book somewhere in there just needed polishing a little bit more like i, I would like to go to her and be like here are the things that I think you do well and here are a few things that I would maybe work on a little bit and you know just keep at it because I think you're probably you know you're you're moving over from children's books to adults books that's probably a big jump in sort of how you write you know first one might come out yeah she's written a children's series called the ship of shadows or something. it's on the inside of the dust jacket I've never heard, I've not heard of that series so I don't know anything about it but um Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think it sense. does. It kind of helps contextualize kind of why the book is up. So I think, you know, maybe get used to writing for adults more and then things might kind of 
you know, come out a little bit, um, a little less kind of, yeah. I think I like the story because I also love the Nutcracker story. And also I think reading it through December also helped. I think if you read it in August or something, it's not something I think you would finish. But I think because it kind of correlates with the festive time of the year and, you know, it's a more magical time of the year, that's why the Nutcracker story is so prominent around Christmas and people love it so much is it, it helps almost bring that magic to the magic of the Christmas period. Um, but I think, yeah, that was one of the things that like it, that kept me going through the story is the promise of referencing the Nutcracker. Shall we move on to rating? So for any new listeners, we have a self-explanatory rating system that I'm now going to explain anyway. So there, it's a it's a five-step scale. Um, uh, sort of uh, right at the bottom is don't bother reading this. Uh, the next up, we have get it from the library. And this is like, oh, you'll enjoy it enough to read it. It's a worthwhile investment of time, but I wouldn't spend anything on it. Then we have three, which is buy it in paperback, you know? Um, buy it in paperback, enjoy it, pass it on to a friend, put it in a little lending library. Like it's worthwhile picking up a cheaper copy. Level four, we're really getting into a book we love enough to just straight up buy in hardback. We'll we'll just buy the hardback and definitely it's worth it. And then um fees edition, which is quite nice because it got us up to a five-star scale, is um I would buy a special edition of this, which is, you know, I've bought it, I've read it, I've loved it. And now, you know, when I can get a signed copy or one of the Waterstone sprayed edges copies or an illustrated edition, I'd even get that as well. Um, So that's how we rate books here at the books table. Um, What are we feeling? Honestly, my mental thing is I'm like, trying to remember what I rated Mexican Gothic because I can't remember if I gave that a three or a four. I think we gave it a three. Paperback I think, gave it, I think we gave it a paperback. Yeah. yeah. Because like uh, I, I do not want to rate this book the same as Mexican Gothic especially when I feel like they hit relatively similar beats and Mexican Gothic does all of mm. those beats better so maybe library? I, I, I'm at a 2.5 really. I'm like I'm at a 2.5 as well, which I think is, if you can't get it from the library, you'll probably enjoy it enough to Mm. buy it in a paperback. I think I'm going for a solid three, which is a paperback, I think. But I think that's, again, personal reasons, because I love the Nutcracker. And it's something, I think it's like when you watch Christmas films, like sometimes the Christmas film's not great, but because it's playing during Christmas and you like the atmosphere it's bringing, like you tolerate it and you end up kind of liking it in a sense, but it's more of the overall feeling you're getting from it combined with correlating to the Christmas time of the year. Yeah. So that's why I would rate it. Well, one thing I want to say is that this book isn't a 2.5 on a five star scale for me, but on our scale, Mm. it's a, it sits at 2.5 because I uh, I would say if you can get it from the library, like it's a worthwhile read. But like, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm going to call this a library to paperback rather than a 2.5 because 2.5 is, is, is less than I would give it if I was giving it a star rating. That's just mm. where I am. Yeah, I think our, our rating kind of skews a bit weird, like towards the five, because like five, as like a special edition is different to a five star book. Like to me, those are two different things. And like a special edition is above five stars. So our rating is a little bit like the two, three rating is a bit kind of like, yeah. oh, where do I put things here? It's a bit skewed, yeah. A one on arms is maybe a two or a three on other scales. Whereas I think a five is like, you know, uh, a five is harder to get. And I, uh, but most books, I think, will sit lower than they would on a five star scale. But I think it works because, you know, it's practical readers advice. Readers 
definitely get this book from your local library. Maybe buy it in paperback. Yeah. It's, there we go. I, is it bad that I still want to talk about Barbie? <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe that's saying something like, I want to talk about Barbie more than Marietta. Yeah. <laughs> Should we I mean, announce our January book? So our January read... Um, for our book club is Exciting Times by Nisha Dolan. Um, and this follows the story Nisha Dolan. Of a young girl uh, who leaves Ireland to spend her parents' money on what she calls a gap year. Um, and she goes to, oh, her name's Ava, by the way. And to teach uh, grammar to rich children. Uh, I think there's not a I don't know too much about the book or the events that unfold in it but I think that's sort of the fun of going into these sorts of books yeah I think I think the winter the the sort of the autumn winter is is your sort of fantasy times and then you come out and you read sort of interesting debut novelist and spring and then I spend the summer reading nothing but crappy romances Oh, I love a crappy romance. To come, yeah. guys, to come. This summer. Watch this, this space. This summer. <laughs> to a book near you. <laughs> um, and that's and that's it. So um it is Christmas Eve when this podcast comes out. So Merry uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah, and Merry Christmas to those that celebrate on Christmas Eve as well. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Mm. Merry Christmas. Um, and uh, yeah, and we'll see you. Well, we'll talk to you in the next episode. All right. Bye. See you then. Bye.